So it's that time of year where we are making New Year's resolutions. Uh, it's, it's that time in January where we are desperately trying to keep those New, year res- New Year's resolutions. Uh, so we are trying to lose a little weight. We're hitting the gym. We're trying to read a couple extra books this year. We are managing our money differently, perhaps. We are trying to limit the amount of time we spend staring at our phone. How's that going for you? That's what I thought. Uh, one writer I was, uh, I was checking out earlier this week said that, you know, the whole idea of New Year's resolutions is kind of pointless. We, we fail at most of them anyway, so why not have fun with it? And so this writer suggests that, that next year, perhaps, you should make resolutions that are just incredibly silly, just to make yourself and your friends laugh. So, so she suggested that next year you, you get very serious about announcing on Facebook that your New Year's resolution is to wash your hands after you use the bathroom every single time now. <laughs> And to see how people respond. Or that you should commit in the year ahead to never drink orange juice after you brush your teeth. Which just in general is a good idea. If you've not done that, don't do it. It's horrible. (laughs) Or that in the year ahead, you should go back to school. But you should publicly state that the only reason you're going back to school is so that you can stop paying on your current student loans. (laughs) Or that your New Year's resolution should simply be to watch more cat videos on YouTube. Because if you haven't discovered it yet, life is a bit more palatable when you watch cat videos on YouTube. (laughs) Chances are you're hoping that this year that we're now in is is in some way, shape, or form different than the year that's gone by. Maybe last year was great, but my hope is that you want this year to be even better. But you know as well as I do that, that unless something changes in this year from how we did things last year, it'll be relatively the same. If you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. You've heard that phrase. So last week, we started this series where, where I introduced to you four questions. Four questions derived from the scriptures, flowing from the teachings of Jesus, that I suggest we should wrestle with first. Uh, but first is the name of the series. Before all the other plans and resolutions for the new year, perhaps we should wrestle with these four things. And so the first question I threw your way was this. Where are you headed? We looked at one of the key teachings of Jesus about people who build their houses, and uh, the bottom line was this. You're either headed towards wisdom or you're headed towards foolishness. And so in the year ahead, you should ask the question, well, what am I headed toward? Am I headed towards something wise or something foolish? And Jesus said wisdom was building your house in the things of God. Are you headed in direction towards the things that matter to him, like growing in your knowledge of his love for you? and leveraging your life and love for others, because Jesus says those are the kind of things that matter the most? Or are you building your whole life on things that might be good things, but they're not ultimate things, so they will be things that fail you and frustrate you in the very end if you make them the big thing of your life? Like work is good, and and having a decent amount of cash in your retirement is good, and family is great, but, but they can't be the ultimate substance of your life, the foundation of your life, because in the end... Jobs get lost, money fades, people die, what remains? So if you build your life solely on those things, Jesus says, it's kind of foolish. So we started with that question, but we're going to continue down the list this morning. So last week we asked, where are you headed? And this morning we asked this question, what's your intention this year? Specifically, is your intention in the year ahead to retain control over your life to get your way to arrive at your goals and yours alone, to determine the steps and the outcome? Or is your intention, if you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ, to submit your year 
your steps, your choices, and the outcome to Jesus Christ? Are you intending to retain control of your life or to submit it to the will and the word and the workings of God? Jump with me back to the very first psalm. Psalm 1, the first three verses. First three verses say this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Hold on to that verse, put it in your back pocket for just a moment. In our current day and age, we are focused intently, you could almost say religiously, on two things in our day and age. The pursuit of personal passion and the expression of personal freedom. It's gotten to a point where you could argue that the gravest cultural sin that you could commit is to get in the way of someone defining and then pursuing their own particular passion or in any way, shape, or form, hindering someone else's expression of their individual personal freedoms. And so as a result, as a culture, we encourage one another, almost without end, to define your desire. Define your desire, plan out your passion, and then pursue it. Define your desire, plan your passion, and then pursue it. In your career, in your family, uh, if there's a deep indulgence that isn't going to harm anybody else, just kind of go after it. We encourage people to do this nonstop. So much so that this, this, comp- this comprises the bulk of what you see posted as inspirational memes on Instagram. For example, just take a look at one of the many five million memes that your wife's best friend posts on her Instagram feed all the time. Stuff like this. You will never find a better dance partner than your own spirit. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. But we are encouraging each other to to dive into this. That that if you define your passion and you pursue it, and if you get to retain control over your life saying, this is who I am, this is my goal, this this is going to lead to my freedom and my flourishing according to my design, then I get to dive into it. Now here's the thing. God is all about your flourishing and your freedom. But I want you to notice something about the world that we live in. It is creating a tremendous amount of pressure on you. You define it. You find it. You indulge in it. You chase after it. You build it. You pursue it. You make it. You succeed at it. It's all about you. You do you. And find your freedom. Find your flourishing. Now, again, God is all about your freedom and your flourishing, but here's what we need to talk about this morning, that God's prescription for your true freedom and your true flourishing is drastically different than what we hear echoed all the time in our current culture. That your true freedom and your great flourishing is not found in you getting to retain control of your whole life, pursue your passion however you define it and however you discern it. But instead, in submitting, oh, that's such a tough word, 
submitting your life, your year, to his word and your outcome to his will. That's hard. Jump back again to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in himself. Eh, wrong. His delight is in the law. When you hear the word law in the Old Testament, think, think the teachings, the words, the will, and the ways of God as it has been revealed to us. But his delight is in the word and the ways and the workings of the Lord. And on his words, his ways, and his workings, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted, rooted by streams of water. Another way to translate that word blessed in Hebrew is, is happy. It's the Hebrew word asher, which means deeply, profoundly, like at the soul level, you are happy and satisfied. And in the psalm, it says that, that deeply happy and satisfied, you could say flourishing, is the man who's not bouncing around from group to group or thing to thing, trying to find its freedom and its joy, but instead, the happy, blessed, flourishing man or woman is someone who has decided, I'm not going to follow my gut to this thing and this thing and this thing, but I'm going to plant myself, root myself, bind myself, tie myself, you could say restrict myself to one thing. And that one thing is the word and the will and the ways and the teaching of God. Now, now we're going to dive a little deeper on what that means in just a moment, but I want to highlight a principle that you see at work here in the scriptures, but that's also just embedded into the reality of creation as a whole, whether you're a Christian or not. And that, that principle is this, that we flourish not in the absence of restraints, but in finding the right ones. And no matter what our culture and our world or ourselves currently is saying, this is true. That freedom and flourishing is not found in the absence of restraints. I can do anything at all, but in finding the right restraints that set you free. And you see this all the time. So, for example, the bird that commits itself to the air learns to fly. The fish that commits itself to the sea breathes and swims and thrives. The, the, the student that, that restricts themselves and commits themselves to their studies and getting into a particular school not only gets an education but opens up a whole boatload of opportunities for herself. The artist who, who has tunnel vision on one muse, one picture, one bowl of fruit for hours on end, just one unlocks undiscovered creativity. The man who finds the woman that he's willing to sacrifice everything for and stop all of his foolish ways for finds a richness of living that he never imagined. In, in building a home and building a life and having kids, in, in falling asleep on the couch on a Friday night while she watches the season premiere of The Bachelorette. My friend, um, he's, he's, 
he was the, uh, the president of my former congregation in New York City. Uh, his job, his full-time job is to teach improv at the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York City. And, you know, improv is, is comedy made up on the spot, seemingly without any restrictions. But my good friend Steve, what he'll tell you is that improv actually thrives in limitations and restrictions. You can't discover the funny until you put some restrictions on the moment. That you can't discover what's going to be hilarious for that crowd until somebody shouts out a topic and you focus on it. Until somebody sets a timer. Until that audience sits in front of you and puts a command upon you, a demand upon you, a restriction on you that says, we're not leaving until you make us laugh. That the beauty of improvised comedy is that it relies on restrictions and boundaries to set you free to discover what's funny. That's what's happening in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is saying, you you are not just a random bunch of atoms floating in the world. You are a creation. You have a creator. Which means what's wise for you to find your freedom and your flourishing, what's wise for you is not to have the whole world opened up to you and to follow your gut and define what's right. No, what's right for you is to discern the restrictions and the words and the ways and the wills of the one who made you, believing that because he made you and he knows you and he loves you, that binding yourself to him will set you free. That his word and his will and his ways, they are your water, your air, your muse that allow you to flourish. So with that said, I ask you again, what is your intention in the year ahead? To retain control of your whole existence or to submit it to the will and the ways and the workings of the Lord? To be planted next to something that might cause you to flourish. Now, that stirs up a very logical question. What does it mean to be bound to, planted next to the will and the ways and the workings of the Lord? What does it mean to try and walk in step with what he says my year should be about, my life should be about, submitting all things to his will? That's a good question. And if you're here as a, as a non-believer, or perhaps you're skeptical about Christianity, this is probably the point in the sermon where you think that I'm going to look at you and say that following Jesus, that being a person of faith means becoming one of those hyper-religious Christian weirdos that you can't stand. That submitting your life to God, your year to God, means that, that you have to give in to everything about Christian subculture that you can't stand. That it means you are only allowed from this point forward to listen to KSBJ, that's it. Or that you have to vote straight, tick, and Republican, that's it. Or that you have to start telling bad Christian jokes. Like, how do we know Peter was a rich fisherman by his net income? See, it's not funny. (laughs) This doesn't work. See? It's a bad joke. Or that you're only allowed to go out to eat at Chick-fil-A because they love Jesus. Except on Sundays. On Sundays, we eat at Whataburger because their buildings look like churches. (laughs) That's not what this is about. Here's what it means. Here's what it means to have your whole life submitted to God planted next to him. It means your life is submitted to God because you have his word as your primary point of reference. 
in the big things and the little things and all things. His word, given to us in the scriptures, lived out among his people, revealed in fullness in the person and work of Jesus, all of that becomes your primary reference point. Now, you, you may not know this, but you have a reference point for everything already. You have some gauge on a dashboard that you've built in your heart and mind by which you measure every decision, every action to see if it's going to work for you. And that dashboard may be filled with the approval of your peers, the, uh, the approval of your parents, moving forward in your career, the amount of money you have in your bank account, uh, some woundedness from your past. Like you've got a whole bunch of stuff on your dashboard that you use to measure, how am I doing? Am I moving in the right direction? Is this a wise choice or a foolish choice? And what I'm saying to you is that the person of faith, what they do is they recognize that dashboard, and as best we can, and this is something that has to be repeated and repeated over time, we kind of wipe that dashboard clean, and we put God's word and his will and his ways and the person of Jesus right there, and we use that as the gauge. To say, am I... Am I Am I wise? Am I foolish? Am I, am I headed in the right direction? Am I, am, I, am I doing the right thing? To be submitted to God means to use his word as your primary reference point. It, it, it's kind of like when you, were, when you were first dating your, your now spouse, but it was serious enough that you knew it was going somewhere. And you were so overwhelmed with infatuation and this emerging sense of love that you you interpreted everything you did through the lens of that love. Not because you were afraid of like scaring them away, but because you were so overwhelmed with the gift of this person in your life that you wanted everything you did, from a big decision at work to what you wore on date night, to be interpreted through that lens of, what would she think? Would he like this? Would this help us move forward as a couple, or would it get in the way? Because I want everything in my life to be all about this. That relationship became a primary reference point. And so you remember, like, in those early date nights, you'd be standing in your closet, guys, you'd be looking for the perfect shirt, and be like, well, this, does this one make me look, will she like this one? This is a shirt with buttons. I think she likes buttons, right? <laughs> and then you get married, fast forward, like my, me and my wife, 17 years, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't do that anymore. I still care about what I wear for date nights. We, we have them once every eight years. It's a ton of fun. I still care about what I wear, but like we have a different process now. Like I put on a shirt and then I just walk out of the closet. And if my wife looks at my shirt for more than two seconds, kind of like this, <laughs> then what I do, I don't even say a word, I just turn around. <laughs> I put something else on and I walk back out. That's how it works. The, you see this in verse 3. This is what the psalmist is getting at in verse 3. Verse 3 says this. His or her delight is in the law of the Lord. Like, like I, I want my life to be interpreted through the lens of who God is and what he's about and what matters to him. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, what this is, this is not quite saying that you should go home and lay awake in the wee hours of the night trying to memorize scripture. Not that that's a bad thing. What this is saying is, look, there are seasons in life where you lay awake thinking about things. Or on your drive home from work that takes you far too long, you're wrestling with things. You're wrestling with issues with the kids, dealing with your finances, how to take care of your aging parents, 
problems at work, questions of purpose. You're, you're wrestling with these things. You're meditating on those things. But as you meditate on those things, you are driving them through a particular lens, not the lens of retaining control of your whole existence and getting your way, defining the ends and the means and the goals, but instead you're interpreting it through this lens. As you meditate on all those things, you're interpreting through the lens of his word and his way and his will. I have this opportunity at work. Is it in step with his word? Is it in line with what I think is his will? I have this decision to make about my kids. Is it in step with what I know to be his word and what I think is his will? I have this new thing in my life that I kind of enjoy. I want to spend more time doing this new thing, this this new hobby or or whatever it is. Is this this in line with his word? Is this in step with what what I think is his will? That's what it looks like. You follow me? Which means you probably need to be exposed to his word and to his will a little bit. So if you're not part of a church, church can help with that. If you're not part of a Bible study, Bible study can help with that. Podcasts, great preachers can help with all that stuff. You might want to be exposed to that. Make that a goal in the new year. That's what it looks like, though. Primary reference point. Submitted to God. Planted in. Now, one other big point to share with you is this, that all of this, this submission of my life to God and saying it's not about me, I don't find my own freedom and flourishing, my freedom and flourishing is, being, is found in being restricted to, confined to the right thing, and God is the right thing. This does not happen out of coercion and fear, as if God is going to zap you and strike you down if you don't do this. Or he's going to curse you and cause you to drop your iPhone and crack your screen if you don't do this. That's not how God works. No, no, we do this in response to his love. We, we plant ourselves next to his word and his work and his, his will as it's been revealed. We do this joyfully in response to his love. It, it's not a have to. It's a get to. Because when, when you see Jesus submitting himself to life in this world for you. When you see Jesus forgoing all of his freedoms so that he might die on a cross so that you can be forgiven and you are forgiven. When you see Jesus, lifeless body, being shoved into your grave with your name on it. When you see Jesus emerging from that tomb in victory and giving a gift to you and saying, I've done all this for you. When you see that over and over and over again, when you see the love of God in Jesus Christ, you can't help but respond and say, oh, I, I love you too. And, and, and I, want, I want my whole existence to be interpreted in light of this love. Look at how you love me. Look at what you give me. It's a response to his love. And he does love you. Now again, you you may be hearing this and and you may be saying, ha, nice try, Matt. But there is no way that I am submitting my life to anyone other than myself. I am the master of my universe. The best dance partner is my own soul. If you were to say that to me, I I would not threaten you in any way, shape, or form. I wouldn't say, you got to do it anyway or else. I would say, okay, fine. But then I would ask you for a a favor. 
I would challenge you on one thing. I would say just for me, try this. Plant yourself, not forever, for a week, for a day, for one focused hour on a Sunday morning in some church somewhere. Like, plant yourself next to Jesus. Like, look at him living and dying for you. Listen to his words. Listen to words like, Come to me, all who are weary. Do you feel weary? Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Or blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the whole earth. Or, or plant yourself next to Jesus in the form of his people. People who, like, they, they have faith in him. And you can tell they've spent some time around him. Like, they know him because they love like him. Plant yourself around that. Just, just, like, for a moment. But fix yourself on it. And then, take, take a look inside of your own heart and all of the anxieties that are there all the time. Or, or look at the world around you and, and take note of all of the demands that it has for you. And then ask yourself this question, to whom is my life best entrusted to? Because here's the secret. You're not as free as you think you are. You have to entrust your life to somebody. And is your life best entrusted to your own fears? To the demands of everybody else? Or to the one who has lived for you and died for you and says he forgives you? answer that question. What is your intention for the year ahead? Is it to retain control on your own life and define everything for yourself, or is it to submit your whole life to the will and to the ways and the working of God? We live in a world that is intensely focused on the pursuit of personal passion and the exercise of personal freedom, where we are constantly saying, you define it, you decide it, you choose it. And again, if you don't believe me, just scroll through Instagram and you'll see things like this. The best way to predict your future is to create it. I am 90% sure that Abraham Lincoln did not say that. <laughs> but do you notice something? It's you. You do it. You define it. You pursue it. You create it. You hold your whole life in your own hands. That, my friends, is pressure. God cares about your flourishing, too. But he has a different prescription for it. What if it's not about retaining control and defining your year and getting your way, but submitting it all Planted, submitting it all to him. Let's pray.